Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God to the people, God. Thanks be to God. I remember singing that song, Hymn of Promise, growing up as a kid in First Methodist Allen. We somehow sang that song all the time uh, when we were there. And, and I think, though, it has this really great message to it of um, in, an, in our death is our beginning, in our time infinity. And, and it just gets into this really faithful proposition that there are things God can see that we can't. And I'm going to share stories later on of different people who um, found the presence of God with them when they couldn't see it. Um, but I'd like for you to have that in the back of your mind a little bit as I'm talking today or as we're singing today of those opportunities to reflect back and recognize that um, where once was just a cocoon, a butterfly comes out of it. Where once was what we thought was pain the entire time. And yes, it was pain, but maybe God was working through those things or in those things, amidst those things, as Paul talks about. Um, I myself had a little transition into this when I was preparing the sermon, and Carrie Farr, who sings in the choir at traditional service, um, Carrie came into my office, and we were just hobnobbing for a little bit. It really wasn't a long conversation, uh, but he, we were talking about his wife, Susan, has lost two daughters. Um, and, and in those daughters' memory or honor, um, she's endowed two scholarships. One of them is at Lovers Lane United Methodist Church, and one of them here is at Creekwood. And at the end of the year, um, a graduating senior from one of those groups um, wins the award named after her daughter. And it usually goes to exemplify characteristics that we believe um, are, should be inherent in the youth program, people who exemplify what's inherent in Creekwood's youth program. And so uh, Mason Muller won this year. We uh, awarded it to him last Sunday. He wasn't here at the breakfast to accept it, but um, he, so he was a really dedicated student who didn't show up to get his own award. Uh, he was at a fishing state tournament, so yeah. Um, so anyway, so we were talking about this and reflecting on um, Susan and her daughter's lives, and, and Carrie mentioned this sentence that he had told to me before many years ago as part of his own faith journey, um, and the words he uses are, it's not until you get into the depths of despair that you're forced to look for God. Recognizing that sometimes when we reach the pits of despair and we reach a time in which we're in the trials of Job and nothing is going right, there is no other place to look or to call on than God when we feel abandoned in every other way. And I don't believe that we have to hit the pits of despair. In fact, I think it's better if we don't hit the pits of despair before we recognize God's presence in our life. But in his experience and, and some of the others, there was this understanding that when we hit the rock bottom— and we have nowhere else to look but up. 
that's when we see God most clearly. And when I started, like, it just, it hit me because a long time ago, I went to this continuing education seminar in Laguna Beach, California, which is a terrible place to do, a, you know, continuing education. So we're sitting in this hotel, looking out over the beach, and the, um, and it's different people. I mean, there's people in the ministry, there's CEOs, Aaron Rodgers from the Packers was sitting behind me of all people. It was kind of a weird occurrence. And when the teacher asked us to go around, there were only 50 people there, said, I want every one of you to tell me when you felt God's presence the thickest. And we all went around. Um, Aaron did not say when he signed his latest $125 million contract. Um, everybody talked about death and divorces, when they lost their business, when their mom died. You know, it was interesting. We got around all 50 people, and not one single person said, I won the lottery, or I got the dream job. Everybody talked about the most profound experience they had with the risen Christ in a time of despair. And we've been walking with Cleopas and his friend down this seven-mile journey towards peace and purpose that they find in Emmaus. And they're heading northwest from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and it's through some rocky terrain where they have to overcome some stuff as they're talking about what they are overcoming, the loss of their Savior and Messiah, those, uh, Jesus, who they were so certain was going to be the one to redeem Israel, as it says in Luke, uh, in Luke 24. And so they're having to deal with this loss and this grief. They're having to deal with the uncertainty. They're having to deal with confusion. They're having to deal with all of the despair that comes along with that. And we saw last week how they finally find that Jesus is there through the vulnerable trust that comes through sitting in a meal, sharing a meal together. And so there's this great celebration. Um, but I think in that, afterward, they uh, also have this other realization that comes after they eat the bread. It says, they said to each other, were not our hearts burning with us while we were, he was talking to us on the road? While he was opening the scriptures to us, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together who were all wondering, where is Jesus as well? And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Through all the mountains, through all the valleys, through all the difficulty, through all the confusion, through all the highs, and through all the lows, it turns out Jesus was there all along. Paul says something similar to the Romans in the scripture that Mason read for us earlier. He says this passage that is quoted so often that um, basically that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not the highs, not the lows. He throws out this laundry list of things that could potentially take our eyes off of God. The, the highs, the lows, the powers, the principalities, the things unseen, the things seen, the spiritual forces, the good stuff. I mean, he doesn't, the angels, I mean, he doesn't leave it just the bad stuff. He leaves it to all the things of life that can take our focus away from God. And what's really interesting about this passage is that it's not just this standalone passage that's fun and saying, well, God's always with you. That's true, but it comes in the, at the end of this treatise there's a theological argument that is uh, about whether we are saved by the, the, by the law or by grace through faith. And it happens all the way throughout Romans 1 until this is kind of the culmination of that argument. So the couching of terms, the we are never separated from the love of God, is coming out of an argument about salvation through works or through law or through grace and faith. And part of this is 
the understanding of what more is the law than a quest for certainty. God gives the law as guidelines for a faithful response to God's providence and God's presence with the Israelites. If they do these things, then they will live in the kind of paradise that Eden was supposed to be toward each other. But what it becomes is a certainty of who's in and who's out. And there are laws that get in there about, well, you are outside of the camp. You have to stay over here because you aren't clean. So what was supposed to be guidelines for a faithful response to God's grace and God's presence turn out to be certainty of who's in and who's out. Who's unclean and who's clean? Who's excluded and who's included? And it becomes this very pharisaical, is where we get the word for it, is very pharisaical, very judgmental certainty of life, which is generally how we like life to go. We have a plan. We want that plan to happen. We've got expectations. We want those expectations to happen. When someone dies, that kills our expectations. When we lose our job, that kills our expectations. And for a lot of people, we've been so brought up in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper and plans for good, and we've taken that and personalized it and said, God has a plan for me. X plus Y equals Z. Because when it comes to God, we want to be certain that everything, that God is there in everything. And what happens is when X plus Y doesn't equal Z, well, sometimes people start to wonder, where is God? And why is God? So I asked a question on Facebook this week, and I was I don't want to say shocked with the response because I hope people have stories. I asked the question, when sometime that you have um, felt God was absent only to look back and recognize God was there the entire time? And I, w- I say I'm shocked because I don't know a lot of people who just go around writing or saying their experiences with God. I would love for us to do more of that. I would love for us to tell people about these wonderful experiences we have with God. Um, but it doesn't happen that often. But when I asked this question, all of a sudden it was boom, 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 like comment after comment. And then people who didn't feel comfortable commenting started texting me and emailing me, and I got phone calls. And it was like this barrage of stories of God's wonderful presence in the midst of what you could call despair, where we typically think God isn't present with us. And a few of them gave me permission to share their stories, and I'm sharing these stories with you because I want you to see that when we think that we're walking into endless darkness or endless valleys or endless journeys, well, maybe God didn't cause those events, but God walks with us to peace and purpose where we do find rest at the end of those. First one is Rick Adler, who some of you know, he's one of our SALT co-chairs and um, attends this worship service, works with the youth every Sunday night. Um, Rick shared this time uh, a couple years ago when um, he was unexpectedly fired from his job. And and that brings a lot of sting to it. It's not only like the uncertainty of where's the income going to come in, but it's the uncertainty of what am I worth? Because we tie our job to our worth. And if someone says, well, we don't need you anymore, well, all of a sudden there's the question of, okay, who am I? What am I? And she didn't expound upon that, but it generally happens that way. Um, And so for a nine-plus-month search, he was looking for the next opportunity. Um, And that opportunity finally came along, and so he started into that. But it was over the course of that next year that um, he developed a thyroid issue. And that thyroid issue became such a way that he would have to have surgery on that thyroid issue. Um, And so after a couple months of working with these people, he goes to have the surgery and that morning, he starts getting um, text messages from coworkers that he's barely known or met, just lifting them up in prayer, encouraging them that morning. And the words he says is that, you know, 
um, what he said is that God delivered me from a broken job to a work family that would be present for me through the toughest time. A friend of mine from high school, her name is Kimber, she gave me permission to share her story of her own trials of Job, if you will. Trials of Job, you know, when one thing can go wrong, everything goes wrong. And it was um, July 2009 to January of 2010, so just a very short window when she um, had her first baby and also lost her mom, her mom's mom, or her mom's dad, and her dad's dad, all in the course of this short month. Her mom had moved down to San Antonio. She was going to be the grandma in residence, you know, the grandma in residence that lives down the street, and every time the parents are sick of their kids, they say, hey, come over here, and they leave. And then when the kids are acting up, the grandma says, here, you can have them back. <laughs> so she was going to be that grandma. She was so excited for everything that was going to come. But in just a month or two after she moved down there, they realized that she had terminal cancer. And so all of a sudden, this eight-month pregnant woman who was supposed to be the care receiver becomes the caregiver and is driving her to chemo appointments and radiation appointments and doctor's appointments. And one time she realizes she is an eight-month-old or eight-month pregnant woman down on her knees washing her mother's feet because her mom can't bend that much anymore. And so, in the course of all of these doctor's appointments, she is just overwhelmed and she's, you know, you know, looking forward to her own pregnancy. And and while this is going on, they learn that um, her mom's dad in New Mexico has been put on hospice and only has a week to live. And it goes really quickly. And so not only is she tending to her own maternal pregnancy needs and to her mother's physical needs, but now she's also her mother's emotional caregiver and just piling, things are piling on top of each other. Well, eventually Cooper comes along and Cooper's their first baby and everybody's, you know, pretty happy about that. But now she's trying to keep this human alive while also tending to the mother who's dying, while also tending to the grief that they're feeling just shortly after her grandfather's passing away, and, um, and while this happens, just a few months afterward, she learns that her father's dad passes away unexpectedly, and the grief that's associated with that. And, and you can come, I, I give you a preview of the uh, presentation that Annika Key is going to give uh, tomorrow at 7 o'clock about the challenges of motherhood and postpartum depression. This is the thick of it, where she realizes one day where she is in her pantry, on the floor, crying, just, God, why? And it's at that moment, the pantry door opens and her husband's standing there. He's like, who are you talking to? And there was this kind of light bulb that went on that throughout this entire time, um, her husband, who usually worked really, really long hours and was quite absent during most of the daytime, had, was able to negotiate with his boss to shift some things around to where he could be home more often to help out with her mom and with um, all, and just with her supporting her through her pregnancy and after uh, with the child, with the, with the baby as well. Um, and she realized that they'd never been closer as a married couple than they were during this time. So he picks her up off the floor and they go out and there is uh, her husband's mom, her mother-in-law, who had, in the course of this time, decided that they needed help. And so she had packed up her entire life and moved from St. Louis to San Antonio so that she could be present to help out Kimber and all of these different things, even though it wasn't necessarily her family that was suffering at the time. 
And she just started thinking about all of the people from their church small group that had just poured in meals and support and prayer, all the people from the neighborhood who had come and support and prayer and love and, and just making sure that she was okay. She thought about there was a nursery worker in her church that um, you know, was usually paid on Sunday morning but volunteered to come give like free babysitting um, because there was a trusted relationship there so that she could continue to take her mom to chemo appointments after she had already had the baby. And, and one of the things Kimber talks about is, you know, that was an amazingly terrible time in her life. But she's never felt more peace than during this terrible time because of the way that God had equipped her with all of these people that were around her. Some of you know Kimberly Boyer, who more familiar with her, Kimberly Partain around here. And Kimberly talked about when she was in high school. She was a junior high school, and um, she ended up in an inpatient um, psychiatric ward um, because she had um, gone down a path. She had been diagnosed with depression. She had gone down a path of cutting herself, e eating disorder, and she ended up in this um, psych ward where she really questioned as she looked in the mirror, is this worth it? Am I worth it? And she met this other woman. It was kind of an interesting story that she told me. This other woman around her age saw her and they met in, in one of the classes and she goes, oh my gosh, you are beautiful. And Kimberly, of course, didn't believe her, but she goes, no, 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 you're beautiful. And then it was kind of this mutual recognition of, well, if I'm beautiful and you're beautiful, then maybe we are both beautiful. And as they struggled together through the program and overcoming some of these obstacles, they recognized that, that they were created beautiful and they were made beautiful and there was something to hold on to there and there was something to fight for there. And so they overcame eating disorder. They overcame um, some of these struggles that they were going and they remained friends afterward. And, and as Kimberly I mean, told me, she, I could, she wanted all this shared, that as she got into an abusive relationship later on, she realized one day that she looked in the mirror again and she said, God has so much more for me than this. And it was the presence of God, it was the standard of God, the, the very created nature that God had given her that gave her the strength and the courage to leave that relationship to find healing and wholeness on her own. And now she has this beautiful family. Right? And, I, and I tell you these stories not as just that God only shows up in the muck and the mire. I tell you the stories to say that even in the muck and the mire, God has been walking with us. All of these people recognized God didn't bring them to terrible situations. This was not the B in A plus B equals C. God didn't cause these things to happen. But when the uncertainty that will happen in life happens, God continues to walk with us on the path, even if we have strayed off the path ourselves or if we have been forced off the path in some way or another. That God continues to, as Paul would say to the Romans as well, work together for good for those who love God. Work all things together for good. When we think about peace and purpose, we tend to think about perfection. Where Cleopas and his friend find peace and find purpose is not in perfection of the meal, but it is in the presence of God. And when we get so caught up on Everything in my life must look this way, and I must have this expectation met, and I must have perfection in order to feel blessed, in order to feel part of God's purpose, in order for me to really feel God's love, then we are missing the path of presence, of recognizing that God goes before us and God comes before us. What Methodists like to talk about is a term called provenient grace. And provenient grace was 
really developed in this understanding that even people who don't believe in God can still do God's work. And it's understanding that God does things in our lives even before we claim God or know God, and then God continues to work within us. And so that's what faith is. Faith is this understanding that, we can, that God is always with us, even when we can't see or don't choose to look. Discipleship, growing in discipleship, is leaning into the idea that what our faith brings, that God is always around us, and responding to that. If the law was meant to be a faithful response, that God is with us, and therefore we should behave toward our neighbor like this, discipleship is the understanding that God is always amongst us. We have faith in that, and we respond to God's loving presence by choosing to walk with God, choosing to look for God, choosing to continue to find where God is in our lives so that we can share with others. Grace. Grace is what God is doing when we aren't doing either of those. Grace is what God is doing when we have decided not to look. We've decided not to walk closer to God. And the beauty is, is that God's grace is so ever-present that there aren't any highs or lows. There's no ruler nor angel. There is no thing of this world or of a spiritual nature. There is no good and no bad. There is nothing that can separate you from the love that God has for you, no matter what. Let me pray. Gracious God, for those who are in your presence while hurting, help them feel the thickness of the love and support in this room that you've given them. For those who are in your presence, who are in the midst of celebration and jubilation, God, may we not take our eyes off of you as you celebrate with us. God, we pray that your loving image would be the reason we find our worth and our purpose. We pray that your peace would come upon us when unexpected things happen in our lives. We pray that your loving church, your Holy Spirit, would fill us up and move around us so that we could not help but see that it is only because of you that we are capable of the immense amount of good that we are capable of. And so, God, through our highs and our lows, through life, through death, through valleys, through mountains, may we never forget you were there all along. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite the- Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.